welcome to the Weekly Skeptic, episode 72. I'm Nick Dixon, here with Britain's answer to Ben Shapiro, Toby Young. Coming up, the Rwanda bill runs into choppy waters in the House of Lords. Starmer gaslights us on the culture wars. And Ron DeSantis is out of the race, plus loads more. And of course, peak woke. But Toby, we've got to announce our new website has just launched, basemedia.org. We're doing this on video. There's so many changes. You're in the shed, but it looks like you're not because you've put a white background up. Everything's new. Any comments? Yeah, a bit of um, a few announcements to make. Um, I guess the first one is that basemedia.org, our new podcasting and events platform, is now live. So go to basemedia.org and check it out. Um, and uh, if this is the um, first episode, I think, of the or perhaps the second episode of the Weekly Skeptic we're recording, in which um, there will be a premium section at the end. Um, if you want to hear some uncensored content, if you want to hear review of reviews, um, and if you want us to answer your queries, you have to become a premium subscriber, which you can do at basemedia.org. Premium subscription starts for as little as £5 a month, and there are other perks too. Just go check out the different tiers, what you get for them. Uh, and in due course, that that uh, um, uh, premium subscription will get you access to premium content in other videos. The idea is we're going to include other videos on our podcasting platform as well. It's going to become the Goal Hanger Productions of the center right is the is the dream which is why he described me <laughs> as the ben shapiro let's say the daily wire of uh, uh, the british daily wire perhaps better than than making me the kind of uh, center right uh, gary lineker anyway um uh, so there's yeah, that when you said other videos you mean other shows will have other podcasts completely other on podcasts. there is what you meant yeah yeah and, uh, and-, and that's the idea well starting with the weekly skeptic we'll branch out and there was one other thing you said that i wanted to pick up on but i can't remember what it was but anyway oh yeah they get extra perks they get a monthly Zoom call. There's one tier where they get a monthly Zoom call with you and me. Imagine that. There's even a tier where they get to have a meal with us. And there's another tier where they get to have a tour of your shed, an intimate tour. <laughs> I've just made that one up now. We could add that, though, for, for about £1,000 a month. We could add. What would be the price for Toby's shed? I don't know. It'd be have to be a lot. I think, yeah. Um, and for half that, you could visit Nick's bedsit in um, Grouch Inn. <laughs> bedsit, um, how dare you? Two bedrooms, sorry, two, two bathrooms. two bedroom flat. Um, you, get to, uh, you get to live in my second bathroom. For and we should price. say, like, another new development is that um, we've launched our YouTube channel. So you can now not just listen to this podcast, you can watch it over on our YouTube channel. Um, so go to YouTube, search for The Weekly Skeptic. You should be able to find that. Um, and, I didn't even uh, know that was launched, so that's, that's yeah. exciting. There'll be a, there'll be a, uh, we'll put the, we'll, there'll be a free version, uh, which will be the same as the same content as the free version of the um, audio podcast, but there'll also be a premium version of the video um, on basemedia.org. So if you pay your £5 a month or more, um, you'll be able to access the premium video version as well, ad-free as well. Uh, and one last thing, Nick, is we should um, let people know that uh, they can now purchase tickets to our next live show. So the next live recording of The Weekly Skeptic is at the Hippodrome uh, on February the 12th, and tickets are on sale. Um, if you go to Base Media, click on events, uh, basemedia.org, click on events, you'll be able to purchase tickets for that show cheapest chips only 25 quid where else can you find a two-hour show in the west end in the heart of the west end for a mere 25 quid it's a steal uh, but also if you want to hang out with me and nick afterwards have a drink on the hippodrome's exclusive rooftop bar and it really is exclusive um you can pay 75 pounds get to see the show and come and hang out with me and nick for a couple of hours afterwards 
I saw one troll trolling you saying that was a scam. And I thought, that's such a weird thing to say. <laughs> it's a live show. People can listen to the previous one. It's one of the best live shows around. It's absolutely hilarious. It's a two-hour show. It's a lot of work. Very entertaining. Very informative. It's a brilliant show. I was thinking, what is a scam about that? People are at such a like ridiculous point with the internet where people think charging money for tickets in the West End for a two-hour show is a scam. There's nothing that's a scam about it. It's like right there on the tin. It's like it is what it is. Yeah. The, 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 the is Hamilton a scam? <laughs> the accusation grifter is, is thrown around a little too loosely, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah, if you if you try and make any money, if you try and monetize your content in any way, if you don't just give it away, you're a grifter, basically. Yeah, we've done this podcast for a year for free, over a year for free. You know, we've done a seventy odd episodes. We've done it's this insane the amount of stuff we've done for free. I mean, when I think about it, I actually get kind of annoyed the amount I've done for free. But like, we've done so much for free. Then it's like, come to a live show, pay twenty quid. Oh, scam. <laughs> Obviously, this guy was just some degenerate troll, but, you know, people say stuff like that all the time, they they, yeah. especially on your other show, that lockdown thing. But, I mean, that was a scam, to be fair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, so absolutely, basemedia.org, live show February 12th. That's the plugging out of the way. We will do more plugging at the very end. You know how it works. But we better get into the topics, Toby, before I get shouted at. Better not talk about my health. Better not talk about my life in any way. I better just be a robot pumping out <laughs> topics for the non-paying free. But you can always tell who the non-paying people are because they always have annoying complaints. The paid people are always much cooler. That's my view. Yeah, in the in the premium version, we've cut out Nick talking about his health completely. <laughs> you need to pay an extra five for five pounds a, a month in order to cut that out. To not hear that. <laughs> not to not hear yeah, that. fair <laughs> enough. And the people now get to see me live producing on video. They don't really get to get a sense of how much I do. I run all the software. I just do everything. I do all the topics. They'll get a great sense of how much I do, which is important to me. But first, we should start with the Rwanda bill, I think, Toby, uh, which you understand more than me because it just broke last night. I was on GB News on headliners, and we didn't even break in the papers. Uh, we didn't, It wasn't even on the front pages. So I didn't – and I've been trying to catch up with it. And I've got the basic idea. So the peers voted by 214 to 171 to not ratify the agreement. It's thought to be the first time the Lords has voted against the ratification of a treaty. This is from Sly News, aka Sky News. House of Lords has defied Sunak to vote against it. So we saw that Sunak did this sort of strange press conference about not frustrating the will of the people. And there was a sort of weird threat to the House of Lords. But people weren't sure what the threat really meant. Did it mean that he would go into an election on a kind of anti-House of Lords reform ticket or that he had that in his back pocket? Or did it just kind of mean nothing? Anyway, they didn't care because they've uh, they've not ratified it. And they've just, uh, it kind of annoys me that they've done that because it's, you know, we've been so painful getting this bill through. It's just a slight attempt to tackle immigration. It's like, no, no, we won't put it through. I'm like, is that what the House of Lords is for? I guess it is what it's for. But uh, do we want that? What do you think, Toby? Yeah, well, um, you're thinking about it. What did Rishi mean? I mean, as you say, he didn't spell it out. But maybe what he meant was that if the House of Lords don't rubber stamp my Rwanda bill, I'll flood the House of Lords with, you know, dozens of newly created Tory peers. So obviously, my hopes shot up at that point, Nick. Um, but uh, uh, what the House of Lords did um uh, I think it was last night. Um, they, they, it, it's an advisory vote. It's not binding. So they've said um, they would like the government to delay um, sending any illegal migrants to Rwanda uh, until assurances have been put in place that their system for processing asylum applications is better. 
I think they're, they're, they're supposedly concerned. It was um, a motion, I think, proposed by Lord Goldsmith, former Labour Attorney General. And he's concerned that um, uh, some genuine asylum applications won't be processed properly in Rwanda, wants assurances. It's basically just a way of delaying the bill, but it's not mandatory. It's not binding. It's just advisory at this point. So as Rishi has said today, it won't mean a delay in any flights taking off this spring, if indeed any ever do. Um, But I do think the House of Lords have got some um, other um, uh, delaying tactics up their sleeves. So this isn't the last we'll have heard from them and some kind of showdown between the Commons and the Lords may yet happen. It must be tough for you, Toby, watching the news through the lens of will I become a Lord? Like everything's like, it's like you've got a bet on the football and everything's just like, oh, I need Spain to score in the 89th minute. You just need a certain set of circumstances to fall into place it's, for you to enter the House of Lords. It's like it's like a really complicated accumulator bet. The chances of it coming in are vanishing to zero. So believe me, I'm, I, I don't entertain any realistic hopes of ever being put in the Lords. At one point, it did look uh, it did look fairly possible, didn't it? Well, I think if I hadn't been if I hadn't um, been cancelled in 2018, and if you know the offence archaeologists hadn't dug up all this kind of dirt to tip on my head, um, then I might I might have had a shot if I'd have kind of become a kind of great member of the great and the good, the educational establishment, schools continued to thrive. Uh, made it's possible. But uh, the fact is, um, I don't think I would now pass the vetting process because of all this dirt that was dug up on me. I'm sure some of those lords have done worse than a few tweets about boobs <laughs> in the 10 years ago. I think they're being hypocrites, not letting you in, Toby. It's kind of <laughs> well, disgraceful. You. And you've got a long lineage. <laughs> Most of your family have been lords. So it's, <laughs> it's really shameful. They should put you in on some sort of ancient you know, night ritual, you know, you sort of a long line. It's some Arthurian thing. You should, you just, you have a birthright, Toby, to be a lord. That's what I say. Well, I, have, I, have I mentioned this before, but um, I recall Caroline saying at quite an early stage in our marriage when she refused to take my name, but retained her maiden name, that the only circumstances in which she'd change her name is if I was made a lord and she would then become Lady Young if she wanted to use my name. She now absolutely adamantly denies ever having said that. And I was quite encouraged by that. I think, oh, well, she must think it's uh, at least possible now. Um, uh, but uh, I think in fairness, she probably never did say that. And I've imagined it. I can easily imagine you imagining that. I mean, <laughs> but I have to say to her, I didn't realize she retained her own name. Of course, your wife's amazing, but you are a sort of a bit of a name cuck there. I mean, how do you, how do you expect to run any kind of patriarchy in your home when your wife's retaining her name, like some sort of feminist, like you know, it's a bit, it's a bit feminist, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, you know. Maybe I've, I should I've, attack your personal I've, life on our first <laughs> videos. This should be the paid content. I've made, I've made my peace with it, Nick. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna die in a ditch over it. Um, and uh, uh, my her, her brother, um, he married someone who didn't just refuse to take his name but insisted on calling their children by both of their names. So their children now have double-barreled names. Um, at least Caroline hasn't gone that far. This is how society collapses, but I won't, <laughs> I won't judge your family. But um, I sort of, sort of have there, but it's more of a larger societal <laughs> point. Um, and did you, what do you think about Lee Anderson resigning? So he resigned just after we recorded our last episode. Seemed a big deal last Tuesday, but the world is very fast these days. And this Tuesday, it seems kind of not a big deal. It seems kind of like he went too soon, a bit like when... Jacob Rees-Mogg and Steve 
Barkley, Barkley, not Steve Barkley, who's uh, Steve Baker, stood outside and said they were going to take out Theresa May, and it was a little bit too soon, and it didn't ever, it didn't actually work. I was wondering if it was like that. Lee Anderson went. Brendan went as well. Clark Smith, is, is that yeah. it? I suddenly forgot his name for a second. Good guy. And uh, he, they both went, and I thought, oh, ha- you know, so, something's going to happen here. Soon that's going to topple. They're all going to go the Tory right. But nothing really happened. And did they just go too soon, or, or was it for yeah. personal reasons? Was it just integrity? Well... It could be that um, Rishi Sunak said that, um, you know, if you're going to um, put your name to these amendments to my bill, which I'm very opposed to, then I don't see how you can remain as vice chairs of the Conservative Party. So they had no choice but to resign because if they hadn't resigned, they would have been sacked. That's possible. Um, But it does feel like it was part of a botched coup, um, that uh, the coup never gathered any sort of momentum and that was a moment of maximum vulnerability for Rishi and he seems to have survived it. Um, So now I think the chances of him being replaced by Kemi before the next general election are beginning to recede. I dare say the plotters have got some other tricks up their sleeve um, and uh, there'll be more obstacles that Rishi has to navigate if he's going to stay in post. but it feels to me now as though he will be the leader of the party leading us into the next general election. Yeah, and I said last time that was how it felt to me as well. I couldn't quite see this happening. And I thought he'd get to the election, then then lose, um, and then have to step down, but not before. Yeah, and it's almost a moot point there, isn't it, about about uh, whether, whether it was about they, they didn't go along with the bill you're sort of saying at that point they had to go, but isn't that the point in itself? He says to them, you have to back this bill. Once they don't back it yet, they're going to go. But the choice not to back it is the choice to go. The same thing. Because yeah. yeah. Reese Mogg was saying, you know, we tried to, he was sort of, people was, was grilling him and saying he kind of blocked this or something. He's going, no, no, I, I voted for the amendments. When they couldn't go through, then the best possible thing was the bill. And then I voted with the government. So he was kind of saying that that's not voting against the government, that's voting with the government, but you're just trying to encourage them to have a better bill, is sort of how he was phrasing it. So I suppose ultimately that's you, you play the game and play ball if you're a kind of hardcore party member. But it's yes. interesting, Lee Anderson's not. Will they? Will he go to reform? You know, I uh, my friend uh, Rory, who's sometimes on my other podcast, was predicting Suella could go to reform. Do you see any Tories defecting to reform? It's possible. Um, and Richard Tice said... Um, I think uh, a couple of days ago that he was in conversation uh, with at least one Tory MP about defecting to reform. Um, so, you know, it's it's entirely possible that one or more may defect in the same way that some MPs defected to UKIP. Uh, was it one or two? I think it was two, wasn't it? Um, Douglas Carswell. And, Carswell. And um, another. Um, so it's possible, but I can't see a flood defecting um, before the general election. Um, You know, there's been a lot. I mean, you would expect at some point the kind of Tory loyalty instinct will kick in and they'll rally around the leader and make, you know, the best fist of it they can. Um, Particularly if um, a couple of planes do actually take off um, and carry some 
asylum seekers to Rwanda. That'll be, you know, I mean, Rishi's chosen that as the hill to die on. Um, uh, so his fate in many ways rests on whether any of those planes are going to take off. Um, and uh, if if at least one takes off, I mean, that'll be now a huge victory for him. On the other hand, if, if none take off between now and the general election, that'll be thrown in his face and be very difficult for him to deal with. It's like you waiting to see if you're going to get into the House of Lords. You're just <laughs> watching those planes. Like, my whole fate depends on whether this takes off or not. And then there's an issue. It's like, oh, it was just engine failure. It is going. That must be a nightmare. Did you see there was, a, there was a kind of um, pass- passengers on a plane um, prevented a plane taking off um, uh, to deport um, a criminal? Um, who was an illegal migrant and the passengers kind of revolted and in the end he wasn't deported and it turns out he was involved in a gun battle uh, on the street in Birmingham he was a drug runner he might have even been involved in people trafficking I mean a thoroughly unsavory character and yet these kind of Guardian reading liberals had kind of staged a protest on the plane um, to save this guy from being deported it's extraordinary but I I suppose that that might happen again (laughs) I remember it really annoying me. I don't remember all the details, but in, in Sweden or going to Sweden or something or something like that. Was it? Was it not it? Was it I remember was it, Wasn't it Jamaica? I don't know. Maybe I just remember it being very, very annoying and, yeah. and pathetic. Yeah. And the other thing you said that was funny to me there is you said, um, I know Tice is speaking to at least one. I thought it was going to be more. When you say at least, I was thinking like 12, <laughs> six, at least one. That's just one, isn't it? When you say at least one, you mean one guy. <laughs> I think I do mean one. I mean, the way it was, it was sort of the way Richard phrased it um, seemed to kind of conjure up at least half a dozen. But when when you actually looked at the words, he'd obviously chosen them quite carefully and he'd probably, I think, only talking to one. Um, uh, so we'll see. could I suppose be Andrew Bridgen? I don't know if he specified it was a Tory MP he was talking to. It could be Andrew Bridgen having left Reclaim is now homeless and looking for a party to join. So it could be him, but who knows? Yeah. And when he did say that Lee Anderson and Brendan Clark Smith were both welcome to join, he said that publicly. Yeah, I mean, reform could be massive. They're on the verge. I mean, if they take the chance, if it basically all comes down to if Farage comes back, they could crush the Tories. It could be huge. But if he doesn't, I don't know, Tories could hang on. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think I think the I mean, I I sympathise with reform and um, in some ways feel more closely aligned with their policies and I do with those of the current Conservative government. Um, but um, it the argument that a vote for reform is just a vote for Labour feels pretty persuasive. Um, you know, if you're right, if, if, if Farage comes back, um, takes over the leadership from Richard Tice um, and uh, then reform showing in the general election, I imagine will be pretty strong, maybe up between 15 and 20%. Um, but that will that will destroy the Tories and enable Labour to win an even bigger majority and make it even more likely that Labour will be a two-term at least government. Um, so, you know, even though I don't particularly like the current Conservative government, I would like far less a Starmer-led Labour government. So for that reason, feel reluctant to vote for reform. And for those reasons, I'm out, as Mark Cuban used to say on the Shark Tank. Um, yeah, I mean, it all depends on your constituency, and your seat, doesn't it? I mean, where I am, it's going to be just a disgustingly large Labour victory anyway, as it always is, even in normal times, let alone Labour landslide times. So they're going to win by some appalling margin. So it's, so I can just vote for whoever. So I'd probably vote reform as a protest against the Tories just to register my message that they've been shit. What I, or what I otherwise do and have done in the past is just vote on 
principle and I voted for the Christian People's Alliance, they got about 200 votes, Labour about 80,000. So it's sort of a kind of a protest vote. So it doesn't matter at all, does it? I mean, does it matter in your area? No, I think um, it's it's um, uh, Rupa Huck, Connie Huck's uh, sister. Uh, she's the sitting Labour MP and she's just going to increase her majority. And if people vote for reform instead of Tory, then her majority would be even larger. But there's there's no stopping her, I don't think. We're both in like to see, we're just in this Labour stronghold in broken, fallen London, aren't we really? Yeah. Maybe we should set up somewhere else in some out some little village somewhere and have a weekly sceptic compound and just weapons. Yeah. You know what I mean? Tin food, <laughs> just and you know, in our own set up our own. Oh, party. I, I see. I thought you. I thought you were going to make a more uh, a, a more wholesome suggestion, which is we move to a marginal constituency, um, which is winnable. You know, either for reform by or two, for the Tories. By two votes. No, no, but we then we then campaign uh, and we encourage people, like-minded people, to move to this little kind of uh, compound too, and um, and we end up winning the seat for either the Tories or for Nigel Farage. Uh, so no, I didn't I didn't think of it as sort of you know an a, 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 a you know a behind barbed wire with kind of you know armed guards um, uh, like uh, you know wacko. Waco. Waco. Yeah, I was thinking a bit more as getting out of fallen London. I was saying Labour, you know, Labour win in London. London's broken. My mind went to get out, flee to the villages, get your guns. It has to be shotguns in this country. You could get a license. People like you and me, reputable people, we get our shotguns. Set up a <laughs> we, bunker, probably, we probably could get a license studio. if anyone if anyone listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the guns are just for self-defence. I mean, shooting. I mean, uh, shoot, what are you allowed for? Shooting grouse, I meant, in self-defense. <laughs> Any aggressive grouse come down or, you know, hawks. You get hawks sometimes, you know, wolves. They want to rewild the countryside, Toad. We're going to need these guns. They're going to have wild boars and bears and lions. Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once Labour take over, in my vision, Labour have taken over the country. They've rewilded everything. Everyone's in, half of us are in prison for, for saying for something like women exist. And then the rest of us are in the country shooting off fending off bears that have been reintroduced by star i've reintroduced bears everyone else is in prison <laughs> day one day one i didn't want to say well in the election lead up i've reintroduced sticking plaster politics has gone too far we've reintroduced wolves i don't know i, do, I think it's gonna yeah. be so <laughs> apocalyptically bad yeah don't you think uh, when he gets yeah. in everyone in prison yeah. No. You, do you think uh, that 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 actually he's he's what is he, he's a Pabloite, right? So that's Pabloite, a kind of, yeah. and that, and that's a kind of strand of Trotskyism. Correct. I said that last uh, night on the telly. Not many people know that. It's me and Peter Hitchens and you. Okay. But... So so um, I saw you last night on on headlines. Oh, that's how I know. Dude, um, copying my information, and... <laughs> feeding it back into the podcast, and a kind of weird yeah. Ouroboros of, uh, of of political knowledge. Okay. <laughs> but uh, do you think it's possible that? Um, you know, uh, when he when he when he kind of you know strolls into Downing Street with his kind of hundred and eighty seat majority, um, the mask will be ripped aside, and suddenly we'll have kind of Lenin in number ten. Yeah, and start oh, it's actually Corbyn. Unbelievably, it's been <laughs> it's actually, Corbyn yeah, yeah. all along. He rips along. the mask away, and it's Corbyn. Yeah, <laughs> or he immediately makes Corbyn deputy prime minister and says, "I'll be handing over control in most areas to Corbyn. He's going to be my." My cultural minister, minister of sport, minister of foreign affairs, minister of defence. I'll be looking after 
education or you know the environment <laughs> yeah and by the way I, I do hate jews like it was all the anti-semitism <laughs> thing was all up front he's a far lefty anti-semite he rips <laughs> off the mask and it's just the worst nightmare yeah i mean look i don't want to make light of the, the jewish thing i know it's a serious issue but i do think Stalin will come in and be horrendous i do think it's gonna be so bad i i thought last night Suddenly, I was thinking after the episode we did at GB News, I suddenly thought, I bet people are going to go to prison. I bet we're going to see on the label the first person to go to prison for something really ridiculous. I mean, we've had all sorts of ridiculous hate crimes and non-crime hate. And I just think someone goes to prison for misgendering, you know what I mean? And it just is a new level of, mm. of like you say, sort of I, Leninist, Stalinist tyranny. I, I think it'll be, it'll be kind of, the tension will be between, on the one hand, you know, Starmer, having all these authoritarian impulses and trying to enact these draconian policies, um, such as, you know, making it a criminal offence to misgender a trans person, which Annalisa Dodds has already said Labour will do when it gets elected. Um, it'll be a, a, a conflict between that and just sheer incompetence. So it'll be kind of anarcho-totalitarianism writ large. Um, so they'll they'll try and be these kind of mean, iron-fisted, dictators but they'll just get they'll get stuff wrong all the time it'll be like being kind of governed by the keystone cops by kind of like uh, by kind of a really aggressive authoritarian group of keystone cops yeah and and weirdly they'll be like thatcherite rachel reeves says we want to lower taxes we want to be the party of growth thatcherite lib- market libertarian growth um party there's imprisoning people for misgendering on the site. It was like a weird, I mean, such a weird combo. Can you imagine that? A free market party that sticks you in jail for saying that, that, that a man is not a woman. That would be mental. But it seems quite possible. Yeah, yeah, t- entirely possible. Yeah. And I, and I didn't want to accidentally sort of, quite unprofessionally for me, get into the next story, sort of sidle into it backwards. But that's what I've done because actually our second story was going to be this headline from the Daily Mail today, Starmer wades into culture wars on the side of woke. And it was in a lot of papers. I've got a story from the Express here as well. And he basically did his ridiculous speech, which was accused of being vacuous, where he attacked Tory culture wars. And he made some really strange, really disturbing statements in it. Starmer, this is, of course. He said, the government got themselves so tangled up in culture wars of their own making that it helped demonize the RNLI, the lifeboats, and the National Trust, instead of working with the National Trust so more people can learn about and celebrate our culture and history, they've managed to demean their work. So it's this bizarre claim that the Tories have got themselves tangled up in culture wars of their own making, which of course is so wrong. What the Tories have really done is, at the very last moment, made token efforts to address the culture war because Rishi's been told it's an election issue after just over a decade of allowing us to live in this silent stealth revolution what Starmer's doing is as if we've had the October, the Bolshevik Russian Revolution, and he's there going, "What? Well, who's learning? Like, it's like pure gaslighting. You're doing the culture wars. You kneeled, Starmer, for BLM. You know, someone someone sent me a, like a list of things Labour done. You you went on about white men and women, and Emily Thornby criticised people for having an England flag, and like, they just engaged in the culture wars at all times. I mean, getting rid of people like, or making it impossible for people like Rosie Duffield. I mean, who is engaged in the culture wars if not labor it's absolute nonsense they impose this stuff on you and then you say i don't like that i don't like your f- boot on my face oh why are you in culture why are you in a boot on the face issue of your own making it's like no, i think it's i think it's <laughs> if you're making no it's a cheek issue that you've made no no it's the boot definitely and it's just like it makes me so angry and this is what labor are going to be like 
And then I have some follow-up points, but any comment on that first? Yeah, it's just gaslighting 101, isn't it? Um, It's almost like, you know, um, Russia invades Ukraine. Ukraine put up some resistance and suddenly Russia brands Ukraine the aggressor. It's a bit like that, isn't it? I mean, the idea that the culture wars are a figment of the Tory imagination, you know, dreamt up by telegraph readers trying to whip their, you know, core readership into a telegraph writers trying to whip their readership into a frenzy. Um, you know, these are these aren't invented out of whole cloth, these culture wars. I mean, the National Trust, which he mentioned, um, you know, they 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 now include these kind of, you know, apologias uh, on virtually every painting, every sculpture on National Trust properties. If a house has the faintest connection with the slave trade, that'll be kind of um, foregrounded by the National Trust. Um, they didn't include, I don't think, uh, any reference to Christmas in the calendars they were selling at Christmas in National Trust properties. I mean, it couldn't be a more captured organization. It's an organization that's supposed to be, you know, preserving and celebrating our history and our heritage. Couldn't be more captured by people who loathe and detest everything about Britain and just want to spend their entire time apologizing for our historical sins. And the idea that objecting to that is kind of conjuring up a culture war where nothing, there's nothing to see here. It's just completely ridiculous. It's like, you know, as you say, they've been engaging in this kind of cultural transformation um, of Britain um, since 97 and before. Um, And the Tories have finally kind of girded themselves to respond in a fairly kind of weak way. And, um, And suddenly by pushing back just the tiniest bit the Tories are guilty of of whipping up culture wars. It it's gaslighting. Yeah, and someone sent me this good tweet about it about how actually Labour have uh, have been doing it the whole time. And here's a picture. I don't know if our viewers can see of Starmer with a holding up a picture of a Black Lives Matter fist for some reason. And we know he also kneeled at Emily Thornberry saying image from Rochester with England flags. I can't really remember what that was all about. But it was something anti anti having an England flag. David Lammy, the world does not need any more white saviors. Some lame thing about that. And then he put up this thing. Remember that Labour, someone compiled Labour winning women's votes, which was all the same thing. Thornbury saying it's factually inaccurate to say only women have cervixes. Or Starmer saying in the phrase, only women have a cervix. It's something that shouldn't be said. It's not right. And then just all of them just saying loads of rubbish about that. So, yeah, they've been absolutely knee deep in the cultural Go on. Yeah, and he's, he's struggled to bring himself to say that um, uh, only men can have penises. And, you know, I think he's still going to struggle to answer the what is a woman question during the general election. I'm sure there'll be some choice moments during the general election campaign in which he struggles to answer that question. I mean, the Labour Party has a candidate in the form of Eddie Izzard, um, who campaigns in high heels and a dress. I mean, you know, and the Tories are the one engaging in culture wars. I mean, it's just preposterous. You mean Susie Izzard? She's not taken the the male name. It's kind of like your wife, Toby. She hasn't fully dropped the... Or, or it's kind of like that person did with the kids. Susie Eddie Izzard is, is what she, beautiful woman, wants to be caught. And for our listeners, I'm joking and I think it's a he. Um, it's funny, on this she, show, on this show, it's like the opposite. And if you saw that, that, that it's like the opposite of being... Um, a member of staff at a woke university or in, you know, um, uh, the uh, Department of Health. Um, like if we don't if, if we don't misgender 
a trans person, we get in trouble. <laughs> we get blasted. Yeah, yeah. I know. And um, but we could lose our like, jobs. <laughs> and then we have to say it's satire. We end up like Alex Jones because he got sued so many times. Going, that's satire. In case anyone take clips of that, it's satire. It's comic effect. Like we have to you just say it. It ruins it every time. I'm, I'm joking. Yeah, but I'm being the problem satirical. is, it's not enough to say it afterwards because people can clip that bit off. We need like uh, something that comes up on the screen saying satire, <laughs> satire, <laughs> satirical content. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the point is, I'm saying I know Eddie's a man, but he wants to be called Susie Eddie Izzard. It's kind of like keeping both double barrel names, isn't it? And yeah, yeah, absolutely. But he can't win anyway. He keeps keeps losing. But um, maybe he should uh, go back to being a man. He might be more competent. Am I right? Is this on? <laughs> he could win some more seats if he was a man. Hey, feminist. Um, sorry, um, got carried away. So one question though, Toby, is Starmer in issuing this strange statement? Is what is the tactic? Because is he banking on culture wars, so-called, not being an election issue? And is he banking on... But it seems to me, right, the people who think that, when he talks like that, he reminds me of my football team, God bless them, and the extended blob, as I call them, in North London, which just means, you know, people in all kinds of... BBC, civil service, but also financial institutions, think tanks, blah, 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 blah. And they all seem to say that they sort of keep the culture at a distance. And if you do mention it, they kind of say, I'm not sure why everyone's so bothered about that or why they're getting worked up. They would sort of pretend it's not an issue. That seems to me his voting base that he already has those mm. people. So mm. why say this? Surely he needs to get the red wall uh, yeah. and the social conservatives back. I've got a theory. Um, so I don't sure. know if you spotted this, but um, uh, the Labour Party lost a council by-election in Hackney. I don't think we talked about that this Last week, did we? I can't remember. But anyway, um, the reason they lost, and in, in the, you know, which is a remarkable result in the People's Republic of Hackney, where the sitting MP is Diane Abbott, um, but they lost because Labour had sacked the sitting councillor. They'd suspended her, and that was why the by-election had been called um, for um, saying she didn't think trans women were women. Um, so Labour, I think, you know, are acutely aware, Starmer is acutely aware that this is a potential Achilles heel for the party. They're going to lose votes on that issue, uh, particularly in the red wall, as you say, the seats they need to win back if they're going to form the next government. Um, so maybe he's trying to frighten the Tories off going there. He doesn't want the Tories to lean into the culture war because he recognises that if the election is fought on that turf, he's going to do far less well than if he fights it on economy cost of living nhs that's interesting we couldn't you just as easily argue that by raising it you you encourage a rebuttal on it immediately and you encourage them to double down on it and 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 thus bring up the culture what you, you think it scares them off talking about it i Does think a little work? bit i think you get the impression that rishi is a bit wobbly on the issue and hasn't quite made up his mind sometimes right. he just talks about the war on woke and you know the, the next breath he's um you know, he's, yeah. he's, he's not talking about it at all. Here's my theory. It's slightly less sophisticated, but I've just come up with it. Starmer's just saying everything. So if you listen to Starmer, he'll say everything at one time or another. So there'll be a quote there he can go to. So in future, when he's in, one, he can say, if you look, I said it quite clearly there. He can say that he'd said it, but also... It just it just gets him all possible voters. He just says, "Yeah, I think women are real, and they're not real, and I we need to fight the cultural and not fight." He, he seems to have just said basically every position on everything. So even the green thing. Are, we, are you really going to spend twenty four billion, whatever it was, on green stuff? And he's like, "Well, no, not if that's what you mean." But yes, I we are, but not. Yeah, he said mm. yes and no to everything. I think that's- yeah, I think that's true. I think he's uh, very slippery, very hard to pin down, has often taken 
um, completely contradictory positions. I mean, his position on Jeremy Corbyn is um, pretty inconsistent. You know, not so long ago, he was a loyal servant in Jeremy Corbyn's shadow cabinet, campaigning for Jeremy Corbyn to become our next prime minister. Uh, and then when he becomes leader, you know, he effectively expels Corbyn from the party, completely changes his mind about him, apparently. Um, so, yeah, and I do think that the, the fact that it's difficult to pin him down on any issues uh, and the fact that no one really knows what he stands for, you know, the fact that we can joke about he used to be a Trotskyist, is he still a Trotskyist? We don't really know. I think that is that's a that's that's a weakness, and I think the Tories could capitalise on that. I think that would be a an effective attack line. Slippery well, Corbyn. Can you think of a name for him? You know that would that would that would oh like a Trotskyist name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or slippery Starmer. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, boring Keith. Yeah, there's so many names. Yeah, what would Trump do? He would. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah. What what that captures is is lack of. Non non committal Keith. No, we need we need like a is that what you mean like a Trump style <laughs> yeah, nickname exactly, to take yeah, down Trump style nickname. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, I need I need yeah. a better one. Listeners can suggest them. I was just thinking about his whole job is to not drop the Ming vase, as Peter Hitchens has said. But if you're too slippery, you eventually do drop the vase, Toby, to continue that mm. metaphor. But yeah, what would yeah, yeah that's, that's I think yeah, what slip, Trump would call slip, slippery Starmer. Not a bad start, is it? You can't imagine Trump say slippery storm. It's a bit long, isn't it? It's a bit long. I mean, but I think in some yeah. ways that's a more that would be a more effective attack line than claiming, you know, that, that he's he's going to do all these terrible hard left things when he becomes PM. That was the kind of the the Blair, you know, attack line. The attack line against Blair, the devil eyes. You know that uh, behind the mask, there's there's someone oh, yeah. know, really extremist who's going to do terrible things to. Britain. Um, I, I, it's, it's, hard, it's, it's yeah, it's hard to kind of it's hard to make that one land. I think in the case of Storm, he just doesn't seem very dangerous, does he? Probably just boring. Then boring Keir Storm. Yeah. He's so boring. This what is this, how, what does so this guy boring. stand for? Yeah, what yeah. does he stand for? He, he doesn't he even know. He was doing a speech. I, I almost fell asleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, even if he said what he stands for, we wouldn't know because we tune out. We'd fall Next asleep day, before he got he to the says point. The other thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, um, drill, baby, drill. Uh, so I need to work on my trumpet when he, for when he wins again, assuming they don't rig it. Because unless Jordan Peterson wins the the election, I'm in I'm in a bit of trouble impressions wise. Um, one last point on this uh, McCarthyism. Well, that's the point. I've just uh, given it away. He said that he said that the Tories were engaging in a kind of weird McCarthyism. Yeah, which was such a strange hyperbole. And as I said on GB last night, my other point was. McCarthy was right. There were communists <laughs> throughout Hollywood. There were just tons of them. Just he was right to shut them down. It was. We now see he had a point. It, how can you say it wasn't filled with communists and that the whole society wasn't in danger of becoming ridiculously far left? Um, well, that was another example of gaslighting, which was in some ways even more blatant, um, because he was effectively accusing the Tories of kind of being guilty of cancelling people. You know. Not, not, not Labour. Not the woke left. No, no, it's uh, traditional national conservatives, apparently, um, who've been going around trying to cancel people, trying to deprive them of their livelihoods because um, because they've spoken out of turn. Um, uh, I mean, that's just like preposterous. I mean, what else? What What are you going to accuse? You know, conservatives of next? You know, being too close to the trade unions? You know, it's like every. It was like pure projection. Every sin. 
that uh, you know the woke left are guilty of. He's accusing Labour, uh, accusing the Tories of. Yeah, the Tory party is undertaking a kind of weird McCarthyism, trying to find woke agendas in the very civic institutions they once regarded with respect. It's like they're not trying to find them; they've eventually <laughs> located some of them that are there. You don't have to look very hard to find woke agendas in the civil service. I mean, or and, and related institutions. It's it's so absurd. Like you say, yeah, it's so absurd the idea that they're finding them. It's like, yeah, I hope they finally found a few of them in their own departments. Ugh, so annoying. I and think they, it's meant and, to you know, annoy you. How, how, many, how many kind of woke civil servants have been successfully cancelled by, you know, culture, right-wing culture warriors? I can't think of any. Um, no. You know. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. Um, stupid Starmer. Stu- stupid Starmer. He's, boy, he's so stupid, folks. Could, could that be it? Just stupid. Like, he just, he seems quite stupid, doesn't he? I think. Boring, boring Starmer. Slippery <laughs> yeah, Starmer. Yeah. Well, think of it. Let, let us know if you think of a good nickname to, to get, uh, that Trump would say to Starmer and you'll win. Um, well, we don't have merchandise yet, so you'll win nothing. But maybe we should get some merchandise. All right. Well, I think that's probably enough on Keir Starmer for now. Boring, boring Starmer. Let's have a look at this other story, which was in The Telegraph and many other places last week, which is that Catherine Burblesing, a.k.a. Britain's strictest head teacher, faces high court challenge from Muslim pupil over ban enforced at Michaela Community School. I'm sure any listeners to this know all about the, community, the uh, Michaela Community School, very s- known for being disciplinarian, but also known for incredible results. And I'm sure Toby has a lot of insight on that, being a school's expert. But the basic premise is that she's saying all pupils have to sacrifice for the greater good. They have to be vegetarians. They can't have their prayers for their particular religion. Hindus have given up things, she says. Christians have given up things. But now she has an issue that Muslims or some Muslims are less willing to give up their prayer time and their prayer mats and their prayer rooms. So that is the issue she's having. And it raises a whole issue about multiculturalism. It's a kind of microcosm of the entire country, which is that can we all integrate or will some cultures always remain autonomous and separate and refuse to integrate? And is she right to try this, to attempt this? I mean, they only eat vegetable they only eat vegetarian food in the in the school, which I found quite strange. And I find it interesting that the idea that it's a place where she says that to, our school must be a place where children of all races and religions buy into something they all share and that is bigger than themselves, our country. And my critique of this, which I've got in trouble for already with certain liberal friends, is that what does that mean? What can Britain mean if stripped of all identifying features? A relatively trivial example is we eat meat generally in Britain. So if you have to give up meat to not offend other people's sensibilities, well, is that Britain? And I would say we're traditionally a Christian country, have been for hundreds of years. Okay, that seems to have gone, especially after the Equality Act and all that. Now everything's just equal. Okay, so you're giving up the religion of this country. The monarch is still the what is it, supreme head of the Church of England, whatever it's called. So we are technically a Christian country. So that's already strange to me. So my argument is... Great results, amazing what Catherine's doing, huge respect. And yes, we're in a practical world. We've had mass immigration. We're in a different country now. She's doing her best with what she's got and she's doing a very good job, etc. A larger philosophical point that bothers me, though, is this is the problem with liberalism, that it's just, it becomes, everyone becomes the anywhere man, the vague nothing man who's just everything. He eats bland vegetables and has no views because, it, because everyone has to sacrifice to fit in with this one blob what do you think toby yeah well let's just briefly talk about the specific issue um which is why michaela's in the news and then let's go on to consider what you've just said so 
the specific issue, which I think you touched on, is that um, a Muslim pupil is taking the school to court because the governors of the school have banned all forms of religious worship during the school day. And the reason the governors did this is because Muslim pupils were, some of them, were praying several times a day uh, during the school day. And there is no prayer room in the school, so they were taking off their blazers, putting them down on the playground asphalt and kneeling on them. Um, And in addition, some of the um, more evangelical Muslim students were um, trying to press gang others into joining them in prayer and criticizing them for not praying. And there was one particular girl, the girl who's in fact brought this lawsuit against the school, and she's being supported by matrix chambers, and she's getting legal aid, so probably costing the taxpayer several hundred thousand pounds. Um, She apparently was suspended from the school. It's a big story in the mail last week. She was suspended from the school um, uh, last year because um, she uh, confided in another girl that she wanted to destroy the school. Um, And then when the other girl threatened to dob her in for saying this, she then threatened to stab this girl. Um, Pretty unpleasant. Anyway, so the Muslim prayer issue was becoming a really divisive one in the school. Um, For Catherine, it's really important that the community coheres, that they all rub along together, that they're not divided by different religious beliefs and practices. And that's why, as you say, they serve vegetarian food at lunchtime. They want all the children to eat exactly the same food and not have separate meals. Um, And she had, she has defended this as part of a kind of, uh, her, her her vision of how a multicultural Britain works. And she said it's important for her that uh, the children um, don't divide along religious lines, but unite around a common British identity. And you make the point that, um, well, if they're eating vegetarian meals, if they're banning all forms of religious worship in the school, in what sense is it British? Are we kind of watering down the kind of idea of Britishness, um, diluting it so much that it's not really worth defending. Um, I think uh, having visited the school several times, um, that is a little unfair. Um, when I, On one occasion when I visited, um, the kids marched into the dining room at lunchtime reciting Rudyard Kipling's If from memory. I mean, it was it, it was it was a sort of vision of how you, I imagine, Nick, would like every British secondary school to be. I mean, it couldn't there couldn't have been um, a kind of better um, expression of British patriotism than committing if to memory and then reciting it out loud as they marched into the dining hall. It was just like, uh, you know, I I was blown away. Um, And uh, so I do think that um, there are, and I think she, 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 they also, you know, they sing Royal Britannia, um, the national anthem. Um, There are pictures of the queen, uh, the king now in the school. Um, uh, So I do think that, um, the idea of Britishness, which Catherine wants the school to unite behind, wants the to give the pupils a common identity, has not been too diluted. If 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 it, if it encompasses the children memorising and reciting if at regular intervals, then that's good enough for me. Well, 
very interesting. I mean, one thing is people keep saying, visit visit the school. Andrew Dawes said to me, visit the school first, Nick, before you make the judgment. Visit the school. I think, can I just show up at the school? Like random bearded guys just showing no. up the school. I mean, if like, you know, talking no, about s- if. S- s- safeguarding issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I thought no. the line, treat those uh, two imposters just the same. I was thinking, That'll just mean me. That'll mean get get that guy out with the beard out of the building. <laughs> you know, some you can't as a bearded man, you can't just rock up at some. Not that I'm saying I look like a, a sex offender. Let's be very clear. But you know, if you just rock up at some random school at random, yeah. But I do like. It sounds like I should visit with an official appointment because it sounds like I might my mind might be changed by this uh, sight of children just spontaneously reciting Kipling. That would yeah, well, be amazing. Yeah, that, that was uh, uh, and I think. Didn't happen at my school. They spontaneously marched in and battered you and called you gay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I think you will be able to visit. I think you just need to arrange it with the school. If you turn up at the gate and (laughs) demand to see around, that that could be problematic. Um, Show me um, the prayer mats. But one thing that's one thing one one reason for visiting the school, I think, is that one of the most common criticisms of the school, yeah, it's described, she says, the strictest. She's described as the you know strictest headmistress in Britain, as the strictest school in Britain, is that you know it's kind of uh, there's this sort of North Korean atmosphere, um, and it's incredibly strict and draconian, and you know the children drop their rulers, they get into trouble, detentions, um, but. One thing that becomes clear if you visit the school and you spend time, you know, at the back of any classrooms is that the children seem to really love just how regimented it is, just how, you know, um, rigid the behavior management systems are. They know where the boundaries are. They know what the rules are. Um, there's no disruption in the class. There's no bullying in the schools. Well, clearly there was in the case of some of these Muslim pupils, but for the most part, very little bullying. Um, the teachers have authority. All the kids um, sit there at the front of the class, um, looking up at the teacher, only speaking when they're spoken to. But they seem to really enjoy it. They enthusiastically participate in the lessons. When they ask for hands to go up, all the hands shoot up. I visited um, a French class and uh, the enthusiasm with which these kids from you know a fairly deprived inner city London borough, the enthusiasm with which they were embracing French was 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 you know it was something to behold. Um, so there's no question it works, and we know from Michele's results that it works. Um, as you said, um, you know if you it has the it had I think the highest progress eight score in the country last year. That's a kind of a pretty good metric to measure how much progress children make at school. So it it, uh, it it controls for just how able the kids are when they arrive. So it doesn't just judge the school on results. It judges them according to how much progress kids make, regardless of their starting points. And by that pretty robust measure, Michaela is the most successful school in the country. And it also gets fantastic results. Um, now, it, as someone who's involved in the free school movement at a very early stage and actually helped Catherine um, when she was trying to set up this school. Um, it is, it is, I can say hand on heart, it's, it's, it's what I envisaged the ideal free school to be. I mean, it's like seeing your kind of vision of what schools could be, you know, in a perfect world made flesh when you visit the school. It's just, you, you cannot help but be completely bowled over by it. All right. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I'm going to say it makes sense why Jordan Peterson cried when he visited, although he does cry a fair amount. 
They just see like they were reciting if and well, I just had I found it so moving and and the infrastructure of the school and um yeah, I, I could totally see that. I mean, so I need to go there and, and not be grouchy, but I do worry about this vision of multiculturalism because it's different to my vision of what Britain is. I just think it doesn't work. I think we can't just be everything to all people. We have a culture. You can come in, you can join it, you can not. There's always the you know you can go back on a on a flight that doesn't take off. I mean, you know, because if you, that's it, that's our country. That's what I believe. And it becomes, though I think you can have both points, but it becomes to, to, a, to a degree, it's, you can say it's a great school, but also we need to have cultural values we enforce. Although you could say Kipling is one example of that. But I suppose she, the, 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 the counter argument, Nick, is, and this has been made, I think, um, um, against Catherine's policy of banning religious worship in the school and trying to get the kids to unite around this kind of common conception of Britain and Britishness um, is that it's a bit like the French model, the mm. French way Ooh. of dealing with having, you know, large immigrant la c- populations. La cité. Or la, la cité. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereby um, all forms of religious worship and um, uh, iconography are banned in French state schools and, um, Immigrants are expected to integrate and embrace, you know, French. Um, they're supposed to be as patriotic as, um, you know, the indigenous population. Um, uh, and, and, you know, there is this sort of insistence on embracing this fairly rigid, very traditional conception of French identity. Um, and the problem is that in France, at any rate, has left a lot of um, migrant populations incredibly alienated. Now you could say that's to do with other things. It's because they're, you know, economically deprived. It's because there's much more ghettoization in French cities with these kind of with the migrants kind of pushed out to these outer rings, which become kind of lawless zones at the weekend. Um, so it may not be entirely, you know, um, uh, education policy and la cité, but nevertheless, that that more dogmatic approach it's our way or the highway if you don't like it you can bugger off um you have to embrace all these different aspects of our cultural identity um that does seem to have left large swathes of migrants feeling completely alienated and at at at, you know, at odds with the french state in france yeah well i would, I would put on under not my problem but but yes i can see why that causes social unrest but the other thing I mentioned there as well is that France is interesting because the speaking of French is an expression of identity in a way that the speaking of English isn't. Because we've conquered the world and made our language global, virtually, therefore speaking, it doesn't really mean much and it gets diluted and it can dilute your culture having such a global language. And so yeah, the idea of speaking English, I was thinking everyone in the Mercator School presumably speaks English, doesn't really mean anything, whereas actually the speaking of French in itself is a is a nationalistic patriotic gesture, which is kind of an interesting difference there. But yeah, I mean, look, maybe I'm living in the past. I grew up in a country called England, doesn't exist anymore. We had prayers and we had hymns as automatic every day in assembly. And in secondary school, very religious assemblies still, maybe not the hymns. And that was just completely normal. Of course, I think that's what England is. But of course, I grew up in the lakes in the 80s and 90s. It may as well have been a different, well, it was a different century. It may as well have been about two or three different centuries ago. I mean, it was a different world. Of course, I want. I just think England is a Christian country. I think we can't give up 
anything Christian in the. I think it should be Christian stuff in the school, and everyone else has to give up their things, but not Christian. That's how I see it because I think that's what it is. But hey, some people won't like that, and and that's that was not controversial before. That was how we lived for for years and years. It, it was the furniture, so we didn't notice. It wasn't like. It, you were, it wasn't evangelical speeches every morning, but it was prayers. It was hymns. Obviously, now that becomes. Of course, I was in the country. Who knows what they were doing in in, in London at the time? I don't yeah. know. But I, I just gone. I I I I'll meet you halfway in that. I don't think all schools um, should uh, have a Christian ethos, but I would definitely defend the right of some schools to have a Christian ethos, faith schools, um, and to. Um, have admissions policies um, whereby you have to be a member of that particular religious faith in order to come to the school. Um, and that, that of course, is very controversial. Um, and I got into a lot of trouble, almost as much trouble when I was defending free schools. I would also get into that argument. And some people would become even more impassioned, attacking me for defending faith schools, thought faith schools were very divisive, Think, you know, thought all schools should be secular. Why should uh, the taxpayer fund schools for these religious minorities and you know, point out that actually, you know, the religious minorities pay taxes too. But then um, you run into difficulty. I imagine you might run into difficulty if you were just defending the existence of faith schools, because then you'd have to defend the existence, not just of Christian schools, but of Muslim schools as well, of Jewish schools uh, and so on and so forth. But anyway, um, yeah. I, I'm I'm a bit more liberal than you. And I wouldn't, I, I think that if Catherine wants her school to have a secular ethos and wants to ban religious worship uh, during the school day, I think that is entirely um, her prerogative. I think if a school wants to do that, it does. And she's that's one of the things she said in 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 her own defence is that she's made that clear to parents when they come and look around the school. Everyone knows the deal when they apply to the school. It's not a religious school, certainly not a Muslim school. Um, and uh, so to now demand that they accommodate this uh, minority by creating prayer rooms, allowing them to pray five times a day, um, seems you know unreasonable. Um, and uh, one other point. Um, which is that uh, which many Muslims have made actually is that um, there's no requirement in the Muslim religion to pray five times a day every day. Um, you know, so the Muslims complaining that this is uh, a breach of their religious freedom to stop them from praying during the school day um, at Michaela, I think are on a pretty pretty thin ice. Um, I talked to my son about this, who's sixteen goes to another free school, the one I helped set up. There are, you know, a number of Muslim pupils in the schools. He told me that no, um, there is no religious requirement to pray every day, but you are expected to pray at lunchtime on Fridays. I mean, that might be a pretty good compromise, <laughs> but I think Catherine's a pretty uncompromising sort of person. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the other point I've heard made is that um, it's all very well to say you ban all kinds of religious worship, but banning Muslim prayers is nevertheless discriminatory because how do you ban Christians from praying? You know, they could just sit on a bench and pray silently. Um, whereas well, if not, the Muslims not near an are abortion pray, center, but yeah. No, that's true. Um, I, 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 I made that point to my son. Is it discriminatory because the ban effectively only bans Muslims, not Christians, because they have to use prayer mats, bow down, point towards Mecca, etc. And he said, no, it's perfectly acceptable in the Muslim religion for people to pray silently sitting on a bench, just like Christians. So uh, that's a bogus argument, apparently. 
Interesting. Good debate with your son, but a couple of things to pick you up on. We don't have to do too long because we've got so many other things to get through, but um, you're not really meeting me halfway with faith schools. You're sort of trying to trick me there. I mean, because as you say, you can have faith schools of all stripes. And I found it very strange at a debate, and you were at this as well, where David Aronovich spoke against the uh, against faith schools, which I thought as a Jewish person now, and he can obviously think what he wants, but as a Jewish person now, given all the anti-Semitism in the country. I was kind of surprised at that. I thought you'd, you, you know, you'd want faith schools. Um, but you, you certainly wouldn't have to have faith schools for every religion. Maybe you'd have to because of the Equalities Act and all this stuff. But you shouldn't have to, is what I'm saying. You don't go to Saudi Arabia and say, well, there should be faith schools of all persuasions here. You go, no, it's a Muslim country. So I say, I know that sounds crazy in the modern day to say we're a Christian country, even though our king monarch is literally that, is the head of the Church of England. And we are a Christian country. We always have been. Now you sound mental saying it. But of course, you should, wouldn't have to have faith schools of all stripes because Christianity does have a unique place in this country, should have a unique place. I don't say this from an evangelical perspective. I'm not some evangelical. People always think that just because you say you're a Christian, like, oh, oh yeah, I'm not really religious or spiritual like that. They think you're like just constantly in church and pray. It's like, no, no, we're just all Christians here. You're a Christian, Toby. I am. We're just Whether we foreground it or not, and to the degree we do is up to us. But that's what this country is. I know people say you can't go back to it, Nick. But that's what I think. The other thing, that said, I'm not going to let the perfect be the enemy of the good, as they say. And my second choice would still be a school like the Michaela School that's still far better than the school I went to or any number of comprehensives or probably private schools and public schools. So obviously it's a great thing. I'm not a complete dick where I'm like, no, it's not my vision of England and Britain, so I, I don't care. I'm still impressed by what she's done, of course. And it's idle to sit around as someone who's not done anything in schools and doesn't do anything that useful for society to, to completely criticize uh, Catherine Burbelsing. So I'm not doing that. I'm just making a sort of philosophical or wider cultural point. One other thing I'd say, finally, is that there is an interesting question, though. Let's accept her premise then. We all give up stuff and we all sacrifice for the greater good and that and, and this idea of Britain. And But the question is, can she win the argument? I, I, and you, you, you've outlined the argument there, but can she win the argument against certain aspects of Islam or certain Muslims who feel very strongly about it because that is always where the culture loses the argument because Hindus are like, yeah, fine. Christians are like, yeah, fine. And Muslims are like, nah, nah, bro. We want our prayer mats. We want our prayer rooms. So if she can, she sets a precedent for the entire culture. She becomes a microcosm of Britain and that you actually, if something's good enough and worth fighting for, such as great school results, great education, you can defeat these kind of arguments but I'd be amazed if she can, because no one ever has managed to win an argument like this with a, with a, with a, with a strict Muslim. So I'll, I'll be amazed, but let's see. Well, um, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see what whether where the High Court comes down. Um, but um, I think there are strong arguments on both sides. I think it's hard to predict. Uh, but I'd be very sorry if the High Court comes down on the side of the uh, girl. And uh, it will seriously undermine Catherine's authority, I think. Um, and I don't know how she'll how she'll adjust to that. Um, but, you know, one of the things which makes the school work so well is that she is the supreme leader. Um, uh, she has immense, towering authority and everyone respects her. Um, uh, and uh, so for the court to rule against her, uh, though admittedly it's the, it was the Board of Governors, not her, but uh, nevertheless, um, she's become identified with that cause. So, yeah, it would be a real blow to her authority. And, um you know, um, uh, potentially very destructive of what she's managed to achieve, which is really remarkable. Yeah, that'd be terrible. But even if the court rules in her favour, will the culture of intimidation at the school that you've alluded to be such that she can't impose it anyway or continue to impose it? I don't know. 
I just asked the question. You know, if they, if they get all these death threats and all these kind of things, bomb threats, let's see. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully she wins, despite what I said about my Christian points. Okay, well, we've done over now. So I, I'd say let's go to our occasional section now, which is Across the Pond. People love our little sections. So let's do Across the Pond. And the, the big one this week is that Ron DeSantis, your guy, has dropped out and endorsed Trump through, I felt, slightly gritted teeth. And he praised Trump and he said, I've put my endorsement behind Trump. And that was it. It was fairly unambiguous, but it was not a ringing endorsement in the speech, in the tone of it. It's not exactly DeSantis' style. And obviously, they've had beef. But um, And then Trump, in turn, was very nice about DeSantis. He said, and he endorsed me, which was a great, great guy. And all this kind of thing. He did all the Trump thing. Says it's tough to campaign, led a great campaign, blah, blah, all this kind of stuff. Great wife. So he did all that even though they've had all these uh, differences. So that was interesting. And even Shapiro, Ben Shapiro, who you mentioned earlier, was a sort of hardcore never-Trumper in 2016. All these never-Trumpers who like DeSantis, he said, yeah, we've got to throw our backing behind Trump now. He's the candidate. So everyone's finally got behind Trump. It was inevitable anyway. I said it ages ago. DeSantis couldn't compete with Trump's charisma and his you know, most famous person of all time qualities. And he was never going to be able to do it. And I was right. You're probably gutted, Toby. Any comment? Well, the timing's quite interesting. Um, I mean, I, I'm not totally across this, um, so this is pure speculation. But do you think well, Nikki Haley claimed um, after the result in the Iowa caucuses that it was now a two-horse race, even though you know she'd come third and DeSantis had come second? Um, but he's now dropped out, and it really is now a two-horse race. Do you think the reason he dropped out before the New Hampshire primary, which is today, as we speak, we don't yet know the result. Um, do you think that was to um, actually give Nikki Haley a shot at defeating Trump? I mean, he's hedging by endorsing Trump, um, but maybe he's done a kind of behind the scenes deal with Nikki Haley, whereby he, he's he's dropped out. And in return, if she actually defeats Trump in due course, she'll make DeSantis her running mate. Seems unlikely to me. I'm not an expert, but it seems to me far more likely he just saw the writing on the wall. Everyone was posting saying you, DeSantis has to drop out now, otherwise it's pure selfishness. He would have destroyed his career in the in the Republican Party if he hadn't done the decent thing and realized now, okay, time's up for me. Throw my weight behind Trump. Otherwise, he'd have just damaged his future reputation as a kind of petulant some person who's against the Republican Party. I think isn't that enough of an explanation, Occam's Razor style? Probably. Um, one interesting thing about DeSantis's uh, failure um, it does does it have kind of broader implications for um, how um, the anti woke in the culture war go about prosecuting political campaigns in future? Because one of the differences between DeSantis and Trump is that DeSantis was a new kind of um populist you know he 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 was all in against woke he went to war with disney um he um stopped critical race theory and gender identity ideology being taught in public schools in florida um you know he foregrounded he leaned into those issues you know he embraced the culture war and that was central to his whole platform um trump He's certainly not, you know, woke by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but nevertheless, he foregrounds more traditional populist political causes. You know, he's protectionist. Um, he's um, 
he 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 wants to you know uh, do what he can for the less well off. Um, he wants to work with trade unions. He's he's a kind of more conventional you know uh, firebrand populist, um, uh, embracing conventional populist causes and foregrounding those things in his kind of agenda, his platform. Uh, does that does that is the implication? that um, leaning into the culture war is never going to um, uh, uh, really set the electorate on fire, that that's not going to work. It's not going to help right-of-centre candidates win electoral battles. And maybe there's a lesson there for Rishi, and he should actually you know, follow Keir Starmer's advice and lean out of the culture war and try and you know, fight the next election um, on you know, more conventional grounds. What do you think? It's interesting, but I disagree with your conclusions because, to me, Trump is a culture war candidate in himself. He's just a walking wrecking ball of of the culture war. Everything about Trump, everything he says is a huge culture war statement. His very existence is a kind of culture war statement. They're always trying to put him in jail with all these indictments. The media goes crazy over him. They didn't think he could win in 2016. Then he did, and it broke everything He's like Brexit, isn't he? Just, just Trump in himself is a sort of one-man culture war or a one-man rebuke to the culture war, perhaps. And although DeSantis got was better on perhaps on actually legislating against wokeness, I think it I think I don't think you can draw that conclusion because 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 Trump is the more controversial figure in the culture war still, even though he was not great on vaccines and lockdowns. You know, even though he hasn't been that effective when actually in power on some of these things, because he's flawed and he gets people who like him and he hires the neocons and he hires all the wrong people. Even even despite that, the, the sort of image of Trump, the sort of, not simulacrum, but they kind of just, yeah, the image, the avatar of Trump is just so, even the silhouette of Trump, the famous silhouette, Trump himself is just so synonymous with the, the revolt against the sort of neoliberal globalist elite, even despite his background, despite everything, strangely. So that I don't I don't think you can draw that conclusion from it. I think it's all to do with Trump being the massive personality, massive fame. You just can't compete with that. DeSantis didn't have that factor. He also had these strange aspect of his influences, the DeSantis influencers online, who were seen to be kind of mean, spiteful, kind of annoying, cringe boomers. And they just didn't. They just didn't get it right. They alienated Republicans and alienated people. It was just a disastrous campaign from the start. You look at the Twitter Spaces that went wrong. They changed all the Twitter Spaces, changed all the tech because it went so badly. It was meant to be this big thing he launches with Musk, and it was an absolute cocker. So it just didn't go right for DeSantis on these intangibles, these kind of uh, personality things and and just luck based things. Whereas Trump just is, has the Trump magic, doesn't he? And it just goes well for him not in all cases not in 2020 and he lost his magic a bit there but it's just he just couldn't defeat trump's meme magic or something that's more my argument what do you think yeah yeah i suppose yeah i mean it's it's obviously impossible to draw any definitive conclusions about whether leaning into these culture war issues is electorally sensible or not i mean vivek ramaswamy lent even more into the culture wars than DeSantis and his campaign never really caught fire either. Uh, what do you think? Um, he did pretty well. What he did do you better think, than expected? He did better than expected. Yeah. And, and what culture a, war issues would cause Trump a problem? If Trump said, we want to fix the economy, 
We're doing all that. We're, we're fixing the border. We're drilling baby drill. And also, women are women. There's no downside. Maybe the only argument I could give you I could, is that the abortion issue maybe has cost Trump a little bit or the Republicans a little bit in general because of the, the changes in those laws. I could sort of, I could maybe see that argument a little bit, but is that a cultural issue? Yeah. That's such a fundamental moral no, issue. I, don't I, mean, know I, I suppose, I suppose, what one issue that I thought um, would play better for DeSantis was that, and the reason I like him is that um, he got the pandemic largely right, whereas um, Trump got it broadly wrong. Um, you know, um, Florida was one of the first states to come out of lockdown. Um, Trump, you know embrace the lockdown policy um and i felt that and that's become a kind of cultural issue in america in a way it hasn't here so you know people's attitude towards the lockdown policy is very much very much aligns with their political affiliation how they're going to vote whereas it doesn't here um and uh, and i hope that would play better for DeSantis, and that would be you know and that, that could then become a really big issue in the presidential if it was him against biden um or newsom you know um that could be the issue you could kind of you could you could um maybe you know debate the merits of the lockdown policy and make it absolutely crystal clear that it was a disastrous catastrophic error um and make it less likely that we'll repeat it in future so that was kind of what i was hoping for a kind of that that would be you know, one of the key issues uh, in the battle for the next presidency. But that's not going to happen now because people just don't seem to care that much about that issue. You know, um, they just want to put it behind them. Yeah. And the big question is now what happens with Trump and Haley? And, you know, Vivek was saying for a while, the, the, the establishment wants to make it a two horse race between Trump and Haley. Then they want to take out Trump with lawfare or other means. And this, of course, is is the concern. Then you end up with Haley by default. I mean, you could see that happening. You could see a weird coup. I mean, we've had we've had it here where we got you know Sunak somehow that no one voted for. You could have somehow Haley gets in. They take Trump out. Do they you know do they take him out with lawfare? Do they assassinate him? Somehow he gets taken out. I mean, I posted this. I did. I was surprised that um, even Dan Wooten retweeted this. I was quite surprised that. But it, I just pointed out the only way you can, I said DeSantis drops out and endorses Trump through slightly greater teeth. Nothing can stop Trump now except the weaponization of the justice system and the intelligence agencies or assassination. So they could still take him out in some way and we could get stuck with Nikki Haley, which would be completely awful. And on that topic, Nikki Haley made the news this week for claiming that she was a victim of racism growing up and she totally understood racism and she really understood the horrors of slavery, which is so bad, it doesn't, you don't need to mention it all the time because everyone knows it's the worst thing ever. And which of course, I'm not saying slavery is good, by the way, guys, but it was just, if you watched her interview, it was kind of annoyingly pandering. But she said she was teased every day for being brown in the South. And then, of course, this led to widespread ridicule because she doesn't really look brown. Her name is Nikki Haley, which she has changed from an Indian sounding name, but no one really knew until recently that Nikki Haley was not white, let's be honest. Yeah. So people, right. she may well have experienced that kind of racism in the South where they did say she was brown, could well have happened, probably did. But it just sounded a bit silly. Yeah, there was a funny, it was, there, was, there was a funny comment on, on X uh, beneath the post of her saying this in an NBC News interview. Someone said, Nikki Haley is hands down the whitest brown person I have ever seen. Um, and I looked her up on Wikipedia because I didn't know about her Indian heritage before I saw this clip. Um, and it turns out that both her parents were Indians. Um, uh, and I think they were 
you know, they were migrants to the United States. Um, uh, but she doesn't look Indian, does she? And uh, she either she's been using a lot of kind of um, skin lightening cream or she was just born to a kind of, you know, um, such a such an elevated cadre of the Brahmin class that she's practically white anyway. Um, but yeah, it seemed an odd thing to say, but it sounds like, you know, actually, if you look it up, she can legitimately claim to be Indian. Well, I don't want to get too heritage. much into the details of her skin. It could get a bit weird, but do you think she had a Michael Jackson sort of incident like a, no. a, a, on the Pepsi commercial? Oh, that was his back. What, what was it, a skin condition? So he had to become whiter and whiter. Maybe, maybe she had a Michael Jackson-esque skin condition. But yeah, I knew she was Indian only because, similar reason to you, a while ago, there was a joke about Indians or something on the stage, and it was like a Vivek joke and Nikki Haley. And I thought, what's that about? So I had to check in, and that's when I learned she was actually totally Indian as well. But yeah, with her name, and she, so she have her husband's surname, and then she, Nikki. You just don't put it together. Mm. And yeah, but she is she's Indian. But maybe she did experience racism. Who am I to doubt her lived experience? But it was just funny. And now we're going to have the ultimate neocon. He just doesn't know what she believes. Neolib, neocon. Nothing Nikki. Nothing Nikki. I've just made that one up. But we don't know what she thinks. She's just a total corporate nonsense establishment, which DeSantis said in his endorsement of Trump. He's like, we don't, we can't go back to the corporate nonsense of Nikki Haley. We have to go forward with Trump. I mean, that would be the worst, wouldn't it, Nikki? Do, do you see a coup where they somehow put Haley in place? Because Haley and Biden, that's kind of, all right, then slightly different. But that's their, that's the establishment having having its way either way, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think it's... Um unlikely that she'll you know uh defeat trump to become the um republican nominee well she won't legitimately um, but do you think they'll take trump out in some way to stop it happening that doesn't that doesn't look like that 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 any of the um things that are, have been tried or that are being tried are likely to be successful um just seems to you know make him stronger and stronger so um, they'll just rig the it's possible but it, I, I think more likely um is that there'll be um, uh, an effort to persuade Trump to uh, take her on as his vice presidential candidate. Apparently, Steve Bannon is leading the jihad, I think his word, to um, stop the Trump Trump um, taking her on, naming her as his running mate. Um, I think, they, they, according to Bannon, the kind of Republican establishment plan is to install her as vice president um, and then just hope that kind of, you know, Trump's lack of interest in the detail of day-to-day governing his kind of uh, his own kind of mental decay um, uh, will mean that she's effectively, you know, in charge, um, even though he's nominally still the president. Interesting. He was asked about it uh, in a clip I just saw yesterday, Trump, who the VP is, he said, you know what? And he said, the funny thing about that is it doesn't really matter. <laughs> he says, it doesn't really matter. He says, I'll go with a choice. It won't be that surprise. He's going to go with a conventional person. People, they speculated, Tim Scott and others, but he said, it's not going to be surprising and it doesn't make any difference. So he's, he's playing it down. So it's not going to be your Tucker Carlson. It's not going to be your Vivek. It's going to be someone boring, hopefully not Haley, but maybe someone just sort of vaguely boring and pro-Trump. Who's, Haley would be controversial in another way. So I think maybe it's just going to be someone... Tim Scott or someone just you haven't really thought of much. I think, uh, yeah, he, he doesn't poll particularly well with women. Uh, I think he polls well with married women, 
less well with single women. Um, so maybe, you know, that could be an incentive for picking her as his running well, mate. Well, Haley, well, you uh, also pick Christy Nome. There's a list of other women you could pick. That's true. Uh, Carrie Lake true. Is, a, is a good choice. Although even the way he was talking, it even sounded like it wouldn't be Carrie Lake because he was talking, he was really playing it down to, he said it's someone you already know and it's not a big deal. So someone, maybe it's, maybe it's, is it Eleanor Stefaniak? That's another that possibility. Her, he yeah. made it sound like this is very boring she, and not relevant and they don't do anything. <laughs> That's what he said. The, 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 the bookies have her down as the favourite to be the running mate. It's another good call. I think he wouldn't have really played it down that much if it was going to be Haley. I don't think. I could be wrong. Certainly not. So it sounds like it's not going to be anyone that interesting is what he was saying. So which is quite strange. So that's that's that. Um, yeah, I think, look, they probably rigged the election. If they don't, they can cripple Trump with deep state stuff, that, you know, because he, last time he struggled to actually get anything done. So there's various ways they can stop Trump without assassinating. But I don't know. Let's see. It's going to be very interesting. Obviously, I'm not saying they'll... I'm not spreading conspiracies that Toad would disapprove of, but we disagree on the election and uh, we don't want to go through all that again. All right. Well, that was Across the Pond. Now let's do everyone's favorite section. It's Peak Woke. So, Toby, so many peak wokes we could go with, as always. Uh, I think the main one I had this week was the trans archdeacon in the Church of England. I'm sure you saw this. Many people said this person was a somewhat resemblant of a somewhat resembled Alan Carr, the comedian. But we don't want to attack people's appearance on this podcast. But it was very strange to see Church of England's first trans archdeacon. The quote was, "I promised I'd not prioritize being a priest over love." Yeah, don't prioritize being a priest when you're an archdeacon. That would be a uh, that would be weird. Prioritize some weird LGBT thing about love is love. So I just uh, I just said uh, one of Satan's least subtle disguises, which was also not one of my most subtle posts. Did you see that, Toby? Yeah, I did. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw, but the um, archdeacon in question, Dr. Rachel Mann, um, is described um, as um, a poet, like. Uh, he is a person of many talents, um, uh, according to um, Jane Ozan, who's uh, a gay evangelical Christian and one of the main campaigners for banning conversion therapy. Um, she said, I'm absolutely thrilled to hear the good news of Rachel's appointment as the new Archdeacon of Salford and Bolton. Rachel is an exceptionally talented priest, and the Church of England is very lucky to have the benefit of her experience as a gifted leader writer, poet, and broadcaster. So, of course, I googled Dr. Rachel Mann and poems and found a website that she's obviously created, which has two poems by her. Um, and the second one is called The Risen Life. And it seems to be an autobiographical poem about waking up in hospital after you've had your penis chopped off. Um, that's how I read it anyway. Maybe, maybe my um, uh, comprehension skills are somewhat lacking. But um the second verse goes, um, not remembering for a second what has happened to you, then feeling out from the inside a kind of shock, shivering down through your forehead, teeth, neck, a fear about what might have been removed. So, um, and the poem's called The Risen Life. And I guess that's um, uh, uh, that, that has a double meaning in that it's about her new life. She has risen again sorry, he has risen again as a woman, having been operated on um, and having had his bits removed. Uh, but it's also, I guess, a reference to Christ rising again. So there's an implicit comparison here between himself 
and Jesus Christ. And because he's had a sex op. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'll send that to you, Nick. You can enjoy it. Oh, get back, Satan. I mean, that is just so disturbing. And to compare that, I mean, if people want to mutilate themselves, well, I was going to say it's kind of up to them, but it's not really up to them. It's up to doctors and society and many things, really. But but then to compare it to the resurrection is so disgusting. If that's what is happening. And so well, the poem's called The Risen Life. I may be misunderstanding it, but it does seem to be. You're going to think of the well, risen Lord, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it seems to be a. I mean, it, I don't know if she, he has had an operation, but um, uh, it's definitely written from the point of view of someone waking up in hospital having just had a sex change operation and comparing that person to our Lord Jesus Christ. Disgusting and disturbing. If that's what's happening, all right, I, I'm just recovering from that one, Toby. Do you want to do a, one of your peak works? I was going to, yeah, I was, um, last week, I think we talked about, or a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, the latest series of Jack Reacher, which features an ex-girlfriend or a woman he's long been interested in and who he takes up with in the course of, season two, um, who, in spite of being quite slight, um, manages to beat up various kind of enormous muscled baddies. And we talked about how, you know, implausible that is. But at least in in Reacher, um, uh, you know, she, she she's uh, a law enforcement. She's a former, she's a former soldier and she's gone into, you know, security work. So it's sort of not, it's not as implausible as the Juno Temple character in season five of Fargo, which I've just come to the end of. Now, the Juno, Juno Temple, you may remember, is this extremely slight, small woman who was in Ted Lasso. Um, and uh, she's kind of an up-and-coming actress. Uh, she's been in a bunch of stuff, and she's very good, actually, in Fargo. Um, and she plays a battered wife who escapes the clutches of her abusive husband, runs off, takes on a new identity, um, remarries, um, has a kid, and then her old life catches up with her. But there are several scenes, you know, in which she is unbelievably skilled at fighting off all these bad guys. I mean, literally an army of bad guys come at her and she just bats them away like Bruce Lee in Enter the Dragon. Um, and she's, she, she knows about firearms. She knows about explosives. She knows how to rig a house to, to create kind of electrical defenses like in straw dogs i mean it, it, it she's just she's got this, ex- this extraordinary kind of um you know um uh, sort of special forces skill set and i thought in the course of the show you know i i loyally stuck with it and for the most part i enjoyed it but i thought at some point we're going to discover what happened between her you know being a battered wife and becoming this kind of killer assassin you know there was going to be some kind of explanation did she go off on a course somewhere you know did she did she did she join some kind of survivalist sect and get trained up in all these skills no it's not ever explained you're supposed to take it for granted that this woman who looks like a 13 year old boy um uh, can somehow beat the living hell out of guys that look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, it's just it's just totally implausible. And as we as we discussed when we last talked about this, this is in its own way dangerous misinformation. Um, you know, and I think Joe Rogan apparently makes this point. But but you know, young women will imagine that you know um, with enough determination 
and and guts and girl power, they can they can they can fend off you know a predatory male or a rapist or a mugger or a burglar. You know they're going to get a rude awakening if they try and do that. Particularly if, like the Judo Temple character in Fargo season five, they've had absolutely no training whatsoever. Yeah, and I've just looked her up, and if the internet is to be believed, she's five foot two. Certainly in pictures, she looks smaller than most women. She couldn't beat up a woman, let alone any man. I mean, it's becoming this is becoming one of my bugbears though because I, I was watching Reacher. I tried to. I think I may have completed season two. It's so bad. And there are actually things all across the internet about how bad it is. Reacher season two is so bad that I was halfway through what may have been the last episode. It's hard to know because they keep releasing them sort of one at a time on, on Fridays for some reason. And they were sort of wrapping up. And I noticed there was 20 minutes left. I was like, has this wrapped up or is there another bit coming? I don't even care because it's that bad. I had it on while writing a substat piece because it was so bad. There's no point even concentrating on it. It's horrifically bad in all ways. The script is awful and it's bad in every possible metric. But... One thing that's so bad about it is those fight scenes. It's sort of one thing for, it's, there's something uniquely, there's something about them that's particularly bad. So I was watching one of them and the four of them are there, Reacher who could beat up most people, a guy who could beat up some people, the uh, Neely, the, the black asexual character who could possibly beat up some people. She's quite big, probably not most men. Then the other woman who's just a completely normal, small woman who in her 30s or something or 40 or something, who couldn't beat up anyone at all ever and what they do so as soon as that scene starts it's a completely pointless scene because unless they're just going to randomly kill off that character in a random scuffle which you know is not going to happen she's a major character she's going to have to die if she dies in a more exciting way and probably most likely she's not going to die so it renders that scene immediately pointless you kind of know how things are going to go in action films and stuff but those scenes are immediately pointless because wokeness dictates that the women have to be able to beat these men up so you know then Reacher's definitely going to beat them up. You know None of them are going to be basically harmed in any way. And do you know how they handled it? Reacher beats up about 20 guys. In the meantime, they keep cutting back to the said small normal woman, like repeatedly, occasionally. And somehow she's still in the same single struggle with one guy. Eventually she picks up like her heel from her shoe and like stabs him after getting slightly roughed up. You're like... She would have died in seconds, one punch from that guy, one just like, you know, it's over. And how could it have taken the same amount of time for Reacher to be beating up multiple people as her to be in a single struggle? It doesn't even make temporal sense. So just so annoying. It renders the whole thing pointless because we know what's going to happen. So there's no tension at all. And it doesn't make temporal or physical sense in any way. I'm furious. Yeah, the, 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 the icing on the cake. I watched the same episode you're talking about now of, Jack Reacher and the and the icing on the cake was after her scuffle with that bad guy who as you say was three or four times her size and actually did rough her up a bit she doesn't have a single blemish on her you know her makeup is perfect it hasn't got a hair out of place it's like there was no not even a stab what, wasn't there like tiny the whole, marks the of like some like dirt or no, like there, were, there weren't even usually you get kind of tiny marks which then miraculously disappear in the next scene but there weren't even any tiny marks she was totally unscathed by her fight with this kind of you know bear of a man um uh, but one of the problems with this kind of um you know the woke capture of of um of television drama is that it robs any drama of any suspense you know That's if it's I a said. fight between yeah, if it's a fight between a small woman and an enormous man, you, you know the woman's going to win. There's no tension there at all. You know that you know if there's a, if there's a heterosexual white male as one of the, as, uh, who's a central member of the cast, 
you know that's the baddie. You know, um, uh, if if the woman is um, involved in a lesbian relationship, you know, she's going to be the person that uh, figures everything out, you know, in the final scene and nails the killer, the white guy in the corner. I mean, you know, no black character can ever be a baddie. I mean, it's like there's no there's no whodunit, the whole whodunit genre, you know, can't possibly survive the kind of wokeification of television drama, suspense mystery there's no mystery it's always the heterosexual white guy he's the villain occasionally they do it and there is a movie where the black guy's a villain and i can't say which without giving spoilers on it's actually i'm actually not going to but occasionally they're going to go oh the black guy's a villain it's a little bit like oh they've actually done that but yeah i know generally what you generally you're right and it's completely ridiculous and um yeah reach uh, season two disaster and they keep saying he keeps saying throughout the season did i ever tell you do i ever tell you did i ever tell you you're smart nearly and she goes not nearly enough and they say it like repeatedly like 20 times I'm like, is this just really bad writing? Because there are a few repeated uh, lines throughout the film that are all awful. Or is it just repeatedly we have to keep saying the black one was amazing? I don't know which, but it's just an awful series on all fronts. But yeah, tragic, really. Um, I don't have time yeah, for many people. But- Go on, Toby. I was going to say, yeah, it used to be that in Hollywood blockbusters, the black techie was a kind of cliched character. You know, there would always be a black guy in the cast um, and uh, who was always really good at tech, like Ving Rhames. Or the guy in Terminator 2 is another one, yeah. Yeah. The guy in Terminator 2, uh, the guy in uh, Die Hard, one of the the kind of robbers is a kind of the black guy. He's he's great at tech, you know, he he operates the computers and whatever. Um, But now the black techie is always a woman and often a woman who's either a lesbian or, you know, non-binary or something of the kind. Um, yeah. It's like they have to, it's like, uh, yeah, it's almost like this, 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 like it's, it's, they're trying to kind of debunk the idea that only, you know, smart heterosexual white guys can excel in tech. They're trying to be more inclusive, broaden, the, the talent pool that tech can draw on by kind of presenting these role models of people they'd like to be in tech, but for the most part, aren't. Anyway. Yeah, it's all over. Um, I have no time for Pete Wilson. We've got time pressures, but um, basically uh, B-Dales had a ridiculous thing where you could uh, stay in dorms depending on your preferred gender and saying we treat all our young people as individuals at B-Dales school, 45 grand a year school, going completely woke, putting people under threat by saying you can choose your how you identify and then you can be in any dorm completely uh, disgusting and dangerous. There was a bikini brand where a male model wore a woman's swimsuit and you get the idea. And uh, Thangham Debonair said some bollocks about white privilege that annoyed me. So those are my Pete Wokes. We only have time. Okay, for I've, them. Got, I, I've got, I've got, um, I was going to have a go at um, Killers of the Flower Moon, the new Scorsese film that I watched a couple of nights ago, which is, I think, Scorsese going full woke, jumping the shark. Don't see it. Um, uh, the um, cellist at Harry and Meghan's wedding um, has said that he doesn't want to play Rule Britannia at the proms because well, he doesn't want Rule Britannia to be played at the proms because it makes people like him feel uncomfortable. Um, I don't think he'd be reciting the words of if as he marched into the dining room at Michaela. Um, uh, The FAA's new diversity push, this is the Federal Aviation Authority. So the FAA's new diversity push includes um, a focus on hiring people with quote unquote severe intellectual and psychiatric disabilities. That's like, that surely is taking equity, diversity and inclusion too far. You want to hire people as air traffic controllers who have severe, severe intellectual and psychiatric disabilities. Air traffic controllers. I mean, I'm never going to fly in America 
again i'm just saying um and uh the the um the best one i thought was um uh, what's happened to sports illustrated this is a great example of um get woke go broke um so sports illustrated as you may know um uh put has put plus yeah it used to be kind of like you know playboy bunnies in bikinis basically in teeny tiny bikinis and it was based it was a sort of skin mag for people who were too embarrassed to kind of buy stuff off the top shelf um and you know did very well um uh and uh but they've decided they've, they've kind of um they've they've, they've kind of drunk the woke kool-aid in the last couple of years and they've had plus size models on their swimsuit this is once a year swimsuit issue they had a plus size model on then they had a trans model on last swimsuit issue they put a trans model on the cover and um not surprisingly nick sports illustrated has now more or less gone bust every single member of staff was laid off last week sports illustrated for all intents and purposes is no more um get woke go broke people said sorry not beautiful which is what peterson got in so much trouble for although the woman he picked actually wasn't that bad but yeah absolutely go woke go broke all right and that is pretty much pete woke for this week you're listening to this message because you're not a premium subscriber to the weekly skeptic if you want to hear the rest of this episode go to basedmedia.org where you can sign up for ad-free extended versions of this podcast the ability to comment on each episode, the opportunity to participate on monthly Zoom calls with Nick and me, free tickets to our live shows, even have dinner with us. Go to our sign-up page at basedmedia.org to see what's available in our different membership tiers. Premium membership starts for as little as £5 a month. That's basedmedia.org. And Toby, now do you want to just plug anything? Well, we've plugged our basedmedia.org. We've plugged the live show, February 12th. Those are pretty important. I always plug buymeacoffee.com slash Nick Dixon. If you want to support me and not Toby, buymeacoffee.com slash Nick Dixon. You've got nickdixon.substack.com where I'm posting constantly now loads of great articles. I'm absolutely bashing them out with a Toby Young-esque vigor. I mean, I did that one on DEI the other day. I've done another one on Carl Benjamin's Alien Ant Farm post. I've done another one on a film. I've got another one in the pipeline. I've got loads. Of, I'm just nickdixon.substack.com. A lot of value now for £5 a month. And, of course, basemedia.org. And, Toby, anything you want to particularly plug? Um, but the two things I want to plug are my usual things, um, the uh, Daily Skeptic. If you enjoy the Daily Skeptic's content, uh, please give the Daily Skeptic, £5 a month, and you can comment beneath the line or just make a donation. That's dailyskeptic.org. And the Free Speech Union has just relaunched its website. It's got a new all-singing, all-dancing website. Um, it's a big improvement on what was there before. It's very slick, very professional. Go check it out. Um, it's uh, freespeechunion.org. And if by some miracle, some oversight, you're not already a member, please join uh, for the kind of support you get. If you get into trouble, it'll be the best money you've ever spent. Uh, so that's it. DailySkeptic.org, FreeSpeechUnion.org. And now BasedMedia.org, where you can get the Review the Review section. You can find out insights about Toby we didn't put in the free version, and you can get all our future content. And even if you just want to support us for now, just as a gesture, you can just sling us a five or a month and just for all this blooming free content you've got for a year. So basemedia.org is the place to go. And I think that is it. So until next week, stay skeptical. Stay skeptical. <laughs>